Welcome to Math Matters, the flagship podcast of Magma Math, where we explore math education, math equity, and tech innovation through the lens of leaders doing impactful work to move the needle to make math accessible and fun again. Math Matters will feature voices in education who speak on equity, mathematics, and innovation. We also hear stories of risk takers and brave adventurous souls who have benefited from their mathematical explorations and experiments. Come join the fun. Well, hello everyone. We are on episode three of Math Matters already, which is wild to me, but super excited as per usual for our special guest, Kathy Williams. Today, our topic is traveling the Argand Plain. And if you didn't get a chance to Google it, Since I asked you to do that on our last episode, no worries, I have it pulled up on my computer. It's kind of hard to summarize into a short sentence, but basically an argand plane is what is used to represent a complex number in a two-dimensional plane. And don't worry, I asked Kathy about it straight from the beginning so you can understand why she chose this as the title. But Kathy Williams is the executive director now and the co-founder of Ucubed, along with Dr. Joe Bowler, who is a math ed researcher out at Stanford University for the Graduate School of Education. We talk about math education and the way that students learn math and the way that their brains light up in different parts when they can visualize mathematics and touch mathematics. We talk about the difference between math education versus mathematicians, which by the way, my dad was a PhD in mathematics, I believe. Although I think he dropped out to become an actuary. Anyway, um, we also talk about cephalopods and the Nautilus and the role of the student voice in the math classroom and the role of education technology. So we kind of touch on a bunch of different things and it ends in a party. Anyway, super excited. Thanks for joining. Please go ahead and leave us a review or any comments if you have any feedback for us. As always, we're on LinkedIn Live and also on Twitter if you look up hashtag MathMatters or go on the Magma Math website. You can find all the recordings of previous podcasts, episodes, and live stream uh, recordings available there. So hope you enjoy. I'd love to start off just uh, hearing why you came up with this title for today's topic. What is the Argon Plane? You know, I I came up with, it was quite a few years ago. I was working uh, in the county office of San Diego. Uh, I was math coordinator there. And and I just kept, you know, seeing things that I, I, it's that typical thing. You think you have your reality. You, you think you know something and then you realize you don't know. And, mm-hmm. you know, what you thought was real isn't real. And I love mathematics. I love complex analysis and all those things. And I finally realized that I just think my life, I'm settled on the Argan plane. And you know, there's a real axis and an imaginary number axis. And at any point in time, I might think something's real and it's not. And I, uh, and then something might, I might think it's not real, but it is. So I just feel like it's, it just captures my life. (laughs) And recently I was laughing because, you know, with, with things as they are and, and, you know, just, I, I used to only think of it in the first quadrant. So it was positive real numbers and, and positive imaginary numbers. And, and that's the other night I woke up in the middle of the night because somehow I magically get to dream about math. It's a wonderful world. <laughs> and um, I realized I'm not in the first quadrant all the time. Sometimes I'm in the sadly in the third quadrant. So anyway, it's, uh, it's, it's fun to think about it, it. I think it makes it a lot more fun and gives me a lot to laugh about. I love that. I mean, it's, it's such a great metaphor and really relevant, right. In today's world too, with, I mean, we can, we can go into that too, right. (laughs) Talking about math education, like what is math education really? (laughs) What is it? What is it? You know, well, and here's another piece of it. We'll get to that, but you know, just, I have to go back to the Argan plane. So, so we have the real axis and then we have the, the vertical imaginary axis and 
that's, you know, it's some number three plus five I, let's say, and, and I represents the square root of negative one. And so here's this world of the Argan plane. And yet very young children, we tell them, you can't take the square root of a negative number. So there we go again, you know, we've got some kids thinking this is absolutely not possible. And then all of a sudden it is possible when they get to algebra two or whatever class they learn that about the little letter I and complex numbers and imaginary numbers and all this but anyway. Okay. Now back to math education. I guess that brings <laughs> us into math education. We yeah. say it's not possible and it doesn't exist. And then someday you find out it does. You know, math is not useful. I don't like my math class. I'm really tired of memorizing. I'm tired of doing it the teacher's way. And then all of a sudden they realize that's not real mathematics. Yeah. At least I hope they get to realize that someday. So, yes. I think a lot of our listeners, whether they're actually math educators or not, can really relate to that comment. I mean, I think, I think a lot of, um, you know, I was looking at statistics from Edweek that was saying one out of five adults actually have math anxiety and one out of four teachers are afraid of teaching math. So yeah, how do we address that? You know, and I wonder, okay, so here I go, right? Here's the statistics. And then I think, where is that on my Argan plane? Is yeah. that the exact number? Cause in my heart, I, I, you know, every time I'm doing a workshop, almost every time I, I think, okay, I ask people, you know, think about your earliest math memory and write it down and then quantify it. Is it positive or negative? If we put it on a negative 10 to positive 10 scale, where would you put it? And what was it? And I get a lot more negative than positive, sadly. But um, yeah, we have, we've created a system where it's not a happy place for most children. Some children are fine and they get through and they survive it. But I think we're losing, in my opinion, I think we're losing some of our greatest mathematical thinkers. We're turning them off to mathematics and we're losing them in, uh, in the way it is. Yeah. And I'm curious because, you know, you've done a lot of work, especially as a math educator in, in neuroscience. What is neuroscience saying to us about, you know, what are the best ways that students learn mathematics? What are the best ways to teach mathematics? What, no, what is the neuroscience telling us? Well, you know, that I've, you know, and I'm, I'm not a neuroscience my, scientist myself. And, and so I work beside them and I have these wonderful opportunities to sit and talk to them. And my mind's just always blown away with um, some of the things I learned. And Joe and I, we co-founded U-Cubed in 2013, and we didn't know about it then. And uh, we, you know, we had some ideas and we found that teachers were happy and kids were thriving. And, and if we talked to parents, they were happy. And if we told administrators about it, they were happy. And so we thought, well, we'll give it all away for free. After we started doing that, uh, we learned there's a a neuroscientist at Stanford, Vinod Menon, and he has a, a lab and they study mathematics in the brain. And, and there's other labs doing this. There's um, in Germany, there's a place, but you know, they actually have children doing mathematics while they're scanning their brain. Wow. And so they're really learning a lot about this. And in my first, you know, meetings with Joe, you know, the neuroscientists would come in and they'd do this and they go, well, we want brain connections. The best learning is brain connections. And I'm like, what are you doing in my, you know, here I go again. I go, you're doing a chicken dance. Joe's <laughs> at that moment. So embarrassed, um, <laughs> but she still has me going to meetings with her. So now I call it the chicken dance. And, but it really, um, you know, I realized in talking to the neuroscientists that a lot of the mathematics I learned I was you know, asked to memorize. I was asked to reproduce methods that were not my own. And I was being shown how to solve problems and my work looked like other students' work. And I realized today that my mathematics I was doing was all here. And um, in these, in these the front networks, there's actually, yeah, the five areas of the brain and the visual areas for mathematics are back in the back. And the finger perception areas are more in the center, which is a whole nother mind blowing conversation wow. about finger perception and mathematics. But I started to recognize that this for my, me wasn't developed. You know, I, I didn't see visual solutions of things and, and I've taken that on now and, and tried to do that. But 
you know, and build it up. And it does build up everybody. I have journals full of my journey of trying to solve visually before algorithmically. And it is, it's just opened up a whole new world. A whole math is just so much more fun today, but (laughs) you know, I think that I'm, I'm a product of the system. And then I was taught to teach, uh, And so I went in and I was replicating it and, you know, not all students thrive that way. So one of the things I like to think about, there's um, Ayakalana, Teresa, she's a neuroscientist and she did a study. uh, I don't know, you know, the statistics, about 20% of students um, have math learning disabilities. Something, you know, is going on that's, it's not making it as easy for them to learn mathematics. Mm. And she did a study with students where they, and they compared them to students that weren't with that label. And they studied their brains and before with mathematics, and they found that the students that were labeled MLD, they had a lot more going on in their brain when they were trying to do mathematics than the other students, which is kind of, as Joe says, very counterintuitive because how is it that, you know, they had more going on, but, you know, I think of it as like not an efficient amount of way of working but with only, uh, they got tutoring three times a week for less than an hour each time, but they did it. But the tutoring, when I, this is my story of meeting neuroscientists, when I sat down and I looked at the activities they did with the students, they were all balanced activities. They were symbolic, but they were visual and they were playing games. They were fun. They were engaging. And that's when, you know, it that moment with neuroscience and mathematics learning really just grabbed me and, and it grabbed Joe too. And that's when we really started pushing down the path of saying, well, how do we get brain connections going? How do we get kids sitting down where there's a light party going on in their head because of the connections <laughs> across these areas? Uh, interesting with that study, the students after an eight week period of time, getting three private one-on-one tutorials a week where they were playing games, they were doing things visually the students all have the same achievement and the same brain functioning at the end of the study. Wow. So, you know, that makes you think, wow, if we could do that in eight weeks with students that we know, you know, are struggling, what could we do across the board? And those are the things that excite me. And I think, you know, if, if they say the greatest learning is when we're doing connections, they've studied mathematicians and their brains, and they find that there's more connections going on when they're doing mathematics, then how do we get that in our classrooms? You know, how do we, how do we have that excitement? And so that's really what we're about at U-Cubed is um, trying to bring that to classrooms, bring it to teachers because teachers are magical and they've got really hard jobs. So how do we make it easier for them and, and uh, bring research to practice, but not just educational research, blending it with um, what we're learning about the brain today. That's so exciting. As you're sharing all that, I'm getting chills down my back and in my brain. <laughs> and it, it's it's unfortunate because I think even the way that our education system has been set up, right? A lot of that came from the industrial revolution where it's about, you know, you're just in one class, you're doing one thing, but the research is showing, right? Even through the achievement that it's through connections. That's when students really get it within the math classroom, but even connecting math with other subjects, helping them to see it right connect to the real world, helping them have fun, see it as a game. So I'm wondering what kind of advice would you give to teachers, math teachers specifically, who may not have the ability to access some of these resources that are, you know. Yeah, you know, I think the biggest thing I see is one recognizing it. And it's almost like I I talk about feeling it when, when we meet with teachers and we go out, Joe and I are out all over um, doing workshops at Stanford or wherever in the world we are. The big thing is, is getting people to do mathematics and kind of, I I think about it as changing their own relationship with mathematics. You might have an idea of what math is. You're sitting down there on the x-axis and you say math is this, or right now, one of the big things I keep thinking about is algebra. There's a lot of people talking about algebra, but how do they define algebra? What is their perception and their personal reality with algebra? And then let's have a conversation about it. Um, So thinking about that, you know, what is, how do I feel about mathematics? But the minute 
we start to see mathematics through a different lens. It transfers um, right into the classroom. We, we found a study we were doing out in Central Valley area. Teachers were, I mean, their relationships changed and they talked about it. And, and you just don't go back when you kind of get that. And it isn't like, I mean, it's kind of like a switch for some people, but, you know, really it's a journey. It's a learning path. And when we can get past, you know, one of the things, if all the work, if all the student work looks the same, whose thinking was that? Hmm. And um, that's the way it was meant to look when I was a student. And that was the way I was taught to teach. That was a long time ago. Um, that's what, you know, I see, how do we, we bring in student voice to all of this? And I guess another thing that I'm really thinking about a lot lately is thinking about our students that they sit in the math classroom. If you walk in the class and look into their faces, are they happy? Are they excited? And what makes them excited? And, and then we can go further and talk about, you know, what's, their belonging and their, what's their sense of purpose in the class. We know that we all do better when we have a sense of purpose and, and how do we help students have a sense of purpose and feel like they belong in the math class and that it's a, it's a learning subject, as Joe says, and not a performing subject. Those are <laughs> so many questions, right? But, but it's a path and, and boy, you know, teachers are out there and they're just on it. I, we, we, they call themselves the Ucubians, and it's so exciting to hear from them and their stories and what they share on Twitter. And, and uh, I look at what we do. We just, you know, come to Ucubed if you aren't sure, you know, try. That's why we made Week of Inspirational Math. Come and try a task and try, or try a few tasks for the week. Um, you can sort by grade level and by topic, number sense, or what, um, whatever you might be interested in. And just give it a try. and that's that's where people start to come back I, I think we can take any any math question and twist it into a really good question for student thinking any topic and uh and we can help students feel like math is their friend and not their enemy mm. yeah I, I love the the personalization of mathematics i think as you mentioned with the educator, right, the math teacher, kind of changing the way that they feel in their mm -hmm. connection and their relationship with mathematics and how that kind of infuses into the classroom. And then, as you mentioned, right, what the work that you're doing with Ucubed, that's so powerful. And, and I'd love to hear you, Kathy, because I know you have so many stories. I'd love <laughs> to hear some stories of how, how you're practicing that also in, in your personal or professional life and the way that you're personalizing. Um, you had some stories that you'd shared with me. I'd, I'd love for you to share with our listeners. <laughs> what are you thinking of? <laughs> um, well, yeah, you know, I think just always seeking to understand. And I think that's the, you know, that's what mathematicians out there in the real world, they don't have an answer book. There's no answer key. And they're thinking about it. They're trying to solve it. They're, they're, you know, they're having to present it to others. They're working together. They're collaborating. They're doing all these things to try to find, you know, the answers, what they seek. And then, you know, really, and then, then they start to refine it and try to, you know, perhaps make it more efficient. Maybe if we're going to use um, tools and technology, we might be thinking about that. So I, I think along those lines, but, you know, for students, they see it as an answer in the book. And uh, I think turning it around, you know, <laughs> one of my stories, you know, is kind of a, I just decided one day that uh, I'm going to take a problem and strip everything away and hand it to a group of teachers I was working with, high school teachers. It was out of an Algebra One book. And, you know, I said, okay, you know, here's, here's a task, solve it. I'd stripped away everything, but it was the question. And they worked on it for about an hour and they were, you know, coming up with all these different ways and none of them did it because it was an example out of their own textbook and nobody solved it the way the textbook had, which I thought was really interesting. Wow. You know, if we strip things away and let people really think about it and bring their own thinking to the table and their own tools and, and things, then that, that really helps. 
So, you know, always seeking to find what's real. Yeah. And not real. Where do I sit in all this? It's interesting. I mean, it's kind of an interesting connection that I'm making in my brain here, but it makes me think of, you know, when people are, uh, you know, when they're talking about dating or romantic relationships, there's really no formula, but in a, a lot of the ways that we have been teaching math and a lot of the ways that students have been learning math is this is the formula. This is how I get there. But as you're saying, when we kind of open our minds to, oh, actually, let's seek to understand, let's seek other ways of understanding the same thing, right? Even in, um, even in the way we, uh, we're in a world right now with so much, uh, so much division politically and in other ways. So it's like, how do we actually cross, cross those lines or thresholds of division? It's, it's through that oh, there's actually no formula that I can use to understand someone. I need to actually just take that step, right? Just listen. You know, it, exactly. You know, we, we're humans and we have our sense of reality. And, and you know, where do, we, where do we take that? I guess one of the stories I was telling you about, uh, nobody on this call is probably going to be surprised <laughs> that we're in some, you know, heavily contentious times, especially if we're sitting in California, you know, there's, there's been some, a lot of conversations and not just in California, but you know, about what is the math. And, and there's a movement that is saying, wait, you're, you're trying to get rid of calculus. That's something that Joe and I hear a lot that we're trying to, you know, get rid of calculus. No, we're not. Calculus is beautiful. Calculus is wonderful. <laughs> it, we're not trying to get rid of it. We're trying to bring more kids to the calculus table and bring more kids options because we shouldn't just be on a pathway to calculus, um, everybody. You know, there's other things, there's other parts of mathematics. The, the mathematics sequence that we're on, you know, was developed in the 1800s and it hasn't changed much. I collect, I've got an antique book collection back here. I like to go through and look at it. You know, I've got some books from the 1800s and, you know, it, it hasn't changed much, but I've got some, also some science books and they're really different. <laughs> Let's just talk neuroscience. I mean, they're seriously different. Why haven't the math books changed? I mean, mm -hmm. come wow. on. Um, yeah, they have color type and stuff and some cool <laughs> pictures, but you know, I, so how do we, you know, what's the reality with that? And, and how do we bring math into the 21st century? I think that's one of the biggest things we all need to sit down and think about. I mean, what's the role of technology? What's, you know, but, you know, as we were talking then about, you know, that, that whole pathway to calculus and other things, right. There's, there's some people that aren't real happy about data science. And, and that's something that I'm just passionate about in hearing kids that are in data science classrooms and how passionate they are. Um, that's another one, but, you know, so my new thing is it's not that new, but I'm talking about it more. Uh, when I run into someone that's in a lot of disagreement, I just want to understand I have my reality. I'm on my area of the Argan plane. They have their own Argan plane in my mind. And let's sit down and have a real conversation. Now, this only works if you can sit down and really have a conversation. I've run into, you know, there's, there's some that you can't do that with. Um, it's not civil and I don't want to engage in that. But, you know, let's just sit down and let's talk. What's, what's going on? And, um, oh, my gosh, you know, I recently did it, did, had a conversation, a mathematician accepted my invitation to sit and chat. I said, I'll come to you. I'll come to your university. I'm in the area. You know, do you have a moment? And oh my gosh, they said, yes, I haven't, you know, you can have this time. And we had a magical conversation. It was wonderful. Do we agree on everything? Absolutely not. But boy, do I understand so much more. Mm -hmm. um, and I think they understand me and, and, you know, kind of the pathway I'm on, you know, as a math educator, I want, I'm thinking about all kids and their perspective was really thinking about the kids that are going to hopefully be math majors. What really brought it home to me, I asked, finally asked the question as we were talking and I said, here at your university, a prominent university, wonderful university in the UC system. And I said, do you and your colleagues feel you have enough math majors? And mm -hmm. The answer was not what I expected. You know, in my reality, I was thinking they want more. They want to, and it's no, we have too many. Wow. And that was really a, you know, it was for me, it was like that moment of, you know, I kind of felt it in my gut. I thought, oh, 
Okay. Because in my world, I want everybody to love math. I want everybody <laughs> yeah. to love well mathematics and thrive. Yeah. You know, and, and I don't want anybody to be sad when I ask them that question 10 years later about, you know, what was their math memory? I want it to be a positive yeah. one. Um, so, you know, just those things. And, you know, the mathematician has their reality and, and I live in mine, but, you know, there was all kinds of ways we, you know, then when I showed math pathways for high school students, they never thought about it. And when I was trying to show the placement of what data science is and what students data science, you know, that it's just another choice for, you know, all of a sudden they're going, wow, oh, interesting. So I think all of us, you know, in this crazy time, if we just kind of sit back and think about our Argan plane and then think about, <laughs> think about listening and seeking to understand. So, but now, you know, this, this person, I, I'd like to consider them a colleague and they reached Aww. out to me New Year's Eve and said, I'm, you know, doing a couple of interviews and they've been very outspoken about what's going on in California, extremely outspoken. It's why I reached out to them. And, and here they, you know, they were asking me questions and saying, you know, can, can we re rediscuss this? I want to make sure I understand, wow. you know, where you are with this. And, and I thought that's really cool. Yeah, so. that's, that's beautiful. I mean, who would have thought, <laughs> who would have thought the Argon plane and mathematics actually is going to help, you know, <laughs> heal the world <laughs> of all division. <laughs> I don't know about everybody, but it's sure helping me. <laughs> See, the square root of negative one is okay. It exists. <laughs> yeah. I can't say it's real because it's not a real number, but hey, it, 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 it's possible. And it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> oh. That's but beautiful. I, that is really beautiful. Thanks for sharing that story yeah. with us. It's, it's inspiring, you know, and it, it encourages me. And I think it, you know, helps us to self-reflect. Oh my goodness. Like, have I, have I been misjudging people too? Right. Yeah. So. It's a journey, I guess, you know, I, I try to see it that, you know, in the work I do and, and helping teachers, you know, I love to be a thought partner. Um, I have different people around the country and outside of the country that call me, you know, just to sit and chat about mathematics. I, it's a part of my job that I love. And, you know, it really is nice to just sit and hear, you know, their stories and, and just to be a part of it and just to be able to ask questions and, you know, to think about it from a different lens. Here's a good story. Uh, so countries reach out to us. Yeah. And, you know, say, hey, we we really like, you know, Ucubed has over 160 countries that are following our work and and using our resources. And so the happiest country in the world, people say, <laughs> I don't know the measure of this, but is the country of Bhutan. Oh, and I, you know, so now, of course, immediately want to go there and kind of immerse myself <laughs> in happiness. <laughs> Actually, they asked me if I'd come and stay for five months and I thought about it, but I don't think Cody, my dog would like the trip. So, <laughs> um, but, you know, I thought, oh, here's the country considered the happiest place on earth. Now I'm thinking Disneyland might be, never mind. I won't go down the path. <laughs> but, um, but I thought here they are reaching out saying, our math achievement for our children isn't what we want it to be. Mm. And, and I thought, you know, it, it's, we're not alone in this math conversation. It's mm. everybody's talking about it, all these different countries and, and we're all on the same pathway trying to figure it out. And if we can embrace technology and really sit back and think about it, we can fix this. We can make it better. And some are well down that pathway and we can learn from each other. Definitely. Yeah. I think sometimes, especially because in America, I think, you know, we're so big, we're so diverse, every, you know, every single district and every little county, like there's so many nuances, right, for every single school and every single classroom that sometimes we get so uh, laser focused in our little region that we forget that, hey, maybe the solution is out in Japan or Brazil, <laughs> you know, maybe yeah, right? we just give a call to our friend who lives out there and, and they can help us out here. You know, yeah, the more, you know, we can talk about it and work on it. You know, it's interesting. I, I woke, you know, this morning, you know, on our email feeds that we get and the things that we've signed up to get blasts from. Um, one of the things was a survey had been done. I'm looking at some notes I'd made. Um, they had surveyed parents and they were one of the survey questions. And the one that was the most polarized 
or the, you know, that had the greatest response as far as meaning to the, the survey people were that uh, it was asking them how they felt about politicians making decisions, educational decisions for their children. And it's really interesting. I, if you look it up, I'm sure you'll, you'll find it today or I can send you the link to it um, later. But it was re really interesting because 68% of the respondents said they were worried about that. And wow. another 40% were really worried about it. And I thought, you know, this is an interesting time because, you know, as you said, it's cut up and, you know, different, you know, we have the federal department of education, mm -hmm. then we have the state departments and the county offices, and we have this incredible system for educating all of our children in the U.S. And, you know, and then there's the political piece of it. And I, I was actually really, um, I think I would have, my point in my Argan plane would be, I would have had a different number that I thought was real that would have been lower than that. Mm. And so I was really, I thought it was refreshing to see that. And then I started to think, you know, what they really wanted was they wanted educators making the decisions, which I love. Yeah. So how often are teachers involved in these decision-making processes, the ones that are closest to the kids? I mean, yes. our teachers are our power and they're, they're everything. And you know, really, do we have a system where their voices are heard and they're feeling valued and they feel belonging themselves and they feel like that, uh, you know, that they can they can make differences. They're making differences every day, but that's a hard job. And sometimes, you know, it's just coming down on them, I think. And so I was thinking about that. And then the other thing I was thinking about, something else I'm really kind of getting... I don't want to say annoyed, but I'm concerned about, and also why I'm reaching out to mathematicians is because there's, in my opinion, here's my real axis and maybe I'm wrong, but there's a lot of disrespect to math educators at the university level and researchers. Mm. And then people turn to the mathematicians for the answers. Well, that's putting math education when they're not really math K-12 math educators, some of them are, and they're right. fantastic. I'm not, there are some amazing mathematicians out there that are passionate about K-12 education, but putting it in the hands of people that aren't really involved in the K-12 education arena and saying that they're the experts, not okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not and okay. I don't know if you found this, Kathy, but um, I think for most folks outside of the math education world, um, they don't really know the difference. So the funny thing is my dad actually majored in mathematics. He was getting his PhD in mathematics. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I'm sure he did well as a professor, but I don't know if I would trust him in the K-12 teaching space. Um, but I, I, think, I think for people outside of the math education world, it's not it's not really, uh, not, not to say that they're at, you know, odds with one another, but they right. don't have an understanding of the nuance and the difference. So feel free to, you know, talk a little bit about that because some of our listeners may not know the difference. Well, you know, and yeah, exactly. You know, I, there's, gosh, I love hanging out with mathematicians. It's one of my favorite things. <laughs> and I have some amazing people that I've been able to spend time with in, in, you know, the last few years. And I so cherish, you know, but sit around, you know, we talk about topology or we talk about, you know, these, these things that sometimes I don't even understand. And because that's their area of expertise and that's in that world they're in. And then, well, I've had this happen before sitting with one. And then I start talking about visualizing algebra and helping students make sense of algebraic patterns visually. And, you know, the mathematician says like, I don't understand. And then I started <laughs> to explain again and mathematicians, I don't understand. Mm. You know, they understand these huge things that I don't understand. Yes. But here I am talking about mathematics education at a ninth grade, eighth mm -hmm. grade level. And they kept saying over and over again, I don't understand until finally Joe intervened and she goes, okay, we're going to move on. <laughs> Because I was just thinking, but I can help you understand. I can, we can keep going. It's just like, no, we're not going to keep going with this path. But, you know, I think, you know, when it isn't just teaching a child to count, I mean, there's cardinality and subitizing and, and do they understand the number names, but then, you know, what are, where are they getting with their number flexibility and part whole relationships and comparison? And there's all these amazing mathematics educators that research this and work on this. And, mm -hmm. 
And yet people think the, my perception, so it's my reality and maybe I'm wrong, but there are those that put mathematicians above these people in the area of mathematics education. Mm. Well, you should not be putting me above a mathematician in the area of topology, right? Yeah. No way. No, <laughs> I, I shouldn't be on the stage in that conversation unless you want me to tell some jokes about topology. I don't know. But, you know, but the other way around, it happens. And, yeah, it does. You know, and there's people out there that say, well, you know, math education, that's for the people that can't do mathematics. Are you kidding? Oh, yes, me? Yes, I've heard that before. You know, it's. Yeah. Yeah. I, the, one of the mathematicians that's using that phrase, I actually is one of the people I've sat down with. Oh, wow. And, uh, was fascinating because what I understood was you've got no idea about what it takes to plan a lesson for a third grader and, mm -hmm. you know, understanding and being flexible with number sense and multiplication. That's, and nor should you, right? Cause that's not your thing, but it doesn't mean you should be making the decisions for what a third grade teacher teaches. Yep. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. And I'd love to hear, I mean, now that we're talking about, you know, what a, what a math educator's world is like in your mind, in your Argon plane, you know, what sets an exceptional math mm -hmm. educator apart from, you know, someone that is maybe still in the process of getting there in the journey of getting there. How, how does one become even better at, at the craft mm -hmm. of, you know, of being an expert math teacher, if that's even a thing. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think it's it's taking the research and interpreting it and getting it out there, right? Joe talks about this all the time and, and she gets frustrated with it that we take educational research and it gets locked up behind paywalls. And how many people actually, she, she jokes sometimes, she goes, oh, I wrote that paper and maybe 15 people are gonna read it, right? <laughs> you know, and it's, it's like, I'm sure more people than that are reading it. I've seen the statistics. However, you know, some of those things, they're, they're pages and pages and all of this. That's one of the things, reasons we co-founded Ucubed. We wanted to take that and interpret it and make it, you know, put it out there and say, well, here's what it is. And then here's some activities that, you know, it's like we did with the neuroscientists, you know, when they were sitting there doing their activities and they were calling them these things, I said, hey, wait, that's what a kindergartner teacher does all the time. And they'd look at me and they go, really? Kindergarten teachers? I said, kindergarten teachers have been doing that for years. They're geniuses. You should go ask them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I consider myself this interpreter in between, you know, neuroscientists <laughs> and, and kindergarten teachers because kindergarten teachers are amazing. They are. And anyway, you know, but it's, but it's interesting that, um, that we, we have that and, you know, it's, we need to take these pieces of research and not let them be locked up. And we need, teachers don't have a lot of time. So how do we, you know, help them see that and, and we bring it, you know, bring in the neuroscience with it and uh, share that. And that's, I think, why YouCubed got so big so fast mm. and why we still have so many followers and the followers are still growing because that's our goal. And, and you know, it isn't that we're trying to give them the answer. It's, here's a task. And my, my thing is, you know, okay. I, I read the research, talked to my colleagues, our team, we have a very small team, but we have great people and we take it and we make a task. Mm. Now you guys take it and make it greater mm. because, you know, we just, we didn't spend forever thinking about it. We took it, we wrote it, we put it up now you, and then, you know, my big thing is take it and make it greater and share it with others. Mm. And I think that's how we can move along the path of uh, change and bring in the technology. We've got to stop the ridiculousness about technology. Yeah, I mean, what, so in your ideal world, what does that look like with the help of good technology actually supporting that kind of classroom? Yeah. Well, I think we need to think about the technology and what is its purpose. Mm. And I think it can have many purposes. Intentionality. Yeah. You know, and, and why are we doing it? Are we creating a product so we can make money? Okay. Let's get away from that. Let's, let's create not a do that. It's really going to <laughs> help children achieve. Else. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and let's think about it and let's, let's be purposeful with it 
and how do we how do we ensure that it's going to achieve what we want it to achieve? And, and we still want, you know, kids to be flexible and, and be interactive with it. And, and it should be a math learning tool. Yes. You know, we can do things like zoom and, and ways for students to communicate and use technology that way, but we've got to get into using mathematics. And, and I really think today um, we're working on data science at UCube. We're very passionate about this movement, but I wonder about computational thinking. Yes. Walk across Stanford's campus and talk to undergraduates. They will talk about computational thinking. How do you think mathematically in a way that you can utilize the technology as a tool? Hmm. And so then what does computational thinking look like for a third grader or a first grader? And, And I guess this is kind of the new pathway I'm going down when I have some more time. I really want to talk to people and think about this and yeah, you know, we need to, when is it appropriate to bring in the, the level of computational thinking and the tool and, and have the students use, use the tools? Hmm. So maybe hmm. kind of a different pathway with, and I know there's people out there playing with this and doing this and they're doing great things. Um, but then yeah. we have to figure out how to get it to all kids. Yeah. And, and I, I wonder you know, connected to kind of what you were sharing before about the paywall of the research, what, what do you think are some of the barriers or some of the fears around actually having that information more easily accessible, having technology that mm-hmm. actually supports students, right, in computational thinking? Yeah. What are some of the reasons that that hasn't happened yet in 2022 now. <laughs> you know, I guess, yeah, I know, right? I laugh because, you know, people say, oh, that's cheating. Hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, I don't consider the surgeon using a computer to help them, you know, whatever, you know, whatever it might be. But in mathematics, it's like we still want kids performing the algorithms that those kids know the machines in their hand can do better than they can. And, and give them so many more ideas. And, 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 you know, you can ask Siri, hopefully she's not going to pop up right now. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I didn't say the other words, so we should be okay. Uh, But you know, what's one third plus two thirds. And, you know, it'll pop up, it'll give you an answer, but then it gives you, you know, different ways of seeing it, the visualizations. Mm. And those are the things we need kids to be mathematical thinkers. They don't have to perform. And I'm not saying, you know, people say, oh, you don't want it. No, no, no. I, I want them to, I want them to be flexible with number. Mm-hmm. I want them to know what they need to know to use the tools because these tools are never going away. Yes, I don't right. understand why students are spending hours factoring quadratic equations because <laughs> in the real world, the coefficients of quadratic, the terms within a quadratic equation or function are, are not whole numbers anyway. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I will on, say know. that was my favorite, one of my favorites parts when I was learning mathematics, but I agree. I agree. (laughs) And today, you know, what really speaking of visualization that, you know, working with Joe and the neuroscientists, I decided I got to throw myself back here. And I started playing with quadratic functions where the coefficients are whole numbers and playing with it on a multiplication table. And the patterns are amazing. Yes, beautiful. I mean, it's and, like artwork. And I think, okay, for number sense and number flexibility, this makes sense. Let's play. Yeah, it's yeah. like art. Yeah. But, you know, to do it because I'm going to be doing that in my life, I like to walk across Stanford's campus and I'll just ask students, have you <laughs> factored a quadratic equation lately? <laughs> they just look at me like I'm from some other planet. Like, you know, what? Are... <laughs> it's like they go, no, they kind of like this look on their face. And I, it, I just laugh. I think it's funny, but yeah, we got to utilize technology and have kids doing that well, or we're really going to fall behind in the U S. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what data science is about, you know, using the technology around you and uh, wow. how can you use the, the tools around you to answer questions of data, ask questions of data and, and see if you can answer them. I so, love that. Good stuff. Now, I didn't know how much time I should leave to talk mm-hmm. about cephalopods, but <laughs> before we get into cephalopods, <laughs> which I, I, any I friends saved, out there on this, they're just shaking their heads going, I saved now. it for the end. It's like uh-huh. the, the icing on the cake. Um, I'd love Kathy, if you could share 
just words. I mean, you've shared so many words of wisdom, so many thoughts that I'm sure are inspirational and causing and challenging our listeners to think, but do you have words of wisdom or um, any sort of encouragement that you can offer our educators who are listening in, or even those who are not educators, but they're just curious. They wanted to, wanted to see what this was all about. Um, just as we kind of move forward today. You know, I think the biggest thing, you know, is to go in and look at, you know, look at the student work. It's all about the student work. What are the kids producing? And if their voice isn't on that paper or in the thing that they've created or the manipulatives they've built or whatever model they've made, then, then it's, it's not their mathematics. It needs to be their mathematics. And, and how do we help that happen? Um, I think that's, the biggest piece. And, and it, when it's their mathematics, then, you know, we need to check in with their belonging and their purpose mm. and do better to um, bring all kids to that. And, and we know, you know, we've got a lot of research out there that says all kids should be together when this is happening. Joe calls it, you know, social capital. Mathematics has become a, a piece of social capital where, you know, if I can get that, then my child will get this. And I understand why parents are, are, trying to do that colleges are impacted and you know but but all students should have the same opportunities and pushing kids ahead too fast a lot of times all the work looks the same so are they really thinking mathematically are they really building their own mind for mathematical thinking because they're going to need it for the future so i think we have to think about a lot of those things think of, you know just throw yourself on the argan plan and plane and say it's all the pathway to calculus well let's think about that you know, let's, let's look at it from a octopus perspective. <laughs> let's go to cephalopods. <laughs> you know, an octopus has a main, main brain, right? In their, their head near their eyes. Um, yeah. But each of their arms has its own mini brain. So an octopus mm-hmm. has eight input brain inputs for anything. And they're puzzle solvers. They're, they're incredible creatures, um, incredible animals. They can solve problems. They watch another octopus doing something and they'll do it or they'll do it better. And, you know, we should all just try to model them and, and see things from eight different perspectives, collect eight different inputs, all these different ways of seeing, uh, mm. as we look at something. Did you ever see that Netflix show <laughs> called the um, My Octopus Teacher? The question is how many times? Have oh, I mean, it how was many so people beautiful. have watched it? Because when they've come over, I've said, we're watching this film. <laughs> yeah. Yo, it's amazing, it's right? Yeah. It's amazing. But, you know, when you follow that story and that relationship, and yet here is a human that says, I got to reset my life. I've got to see it yeah. from a different viewpoint. And they get in and they start to connect with, with another being and they see the world differently. I mean, it's, it's so beautiful in so many ways. Actually, I have sitting beside me the book they made. Um, I don't know. Oh. Can I show things? Yes. My, my family gave me this. It's enormous. But oh, it is enormous. the story of the Greg, Craig Foster, the guy that you see in the film, and the guy that made the film with him, and it's their story. And it is just a magical, wow. you can't carry it around and read it all the time. So I have to keep it right here, but, um, it's just a beautiful story of, of two men coming together and, um, creating something wonderful and how, you know, seeing the world from a different lens and a relationship with an animal, you know, changed them. So it's good. That's so powerful. That's so powerful. (laughs) So we should all be more like Octopi, yeah, see octopi. it from eight different ways. And I can't, you know, say that I, I'm a big Peloton fanatic. And I was on a New Year's Eve ride or New Year's Day ride. And one of the one of my favorite instructors, you know, was talking about the movie and saying, we should all be, you know, so it was their idea. But, it, you know, I, I think I've kind of modified it, but take those, you know, see, see the world from at least eight different perspectives before we decide what the real access is, what the value is. Mm-hmm. Or maybe there's one more than one axis and more than one plane. Right? Absolutely. And many yeah, different dimensions. That would be cool. <laughs> I'm going to be thinking about that tonight. You know, so, think about that. Okay. So here's another piece of mathematics. I'll just say it really quick. Yes. Um, there's a task out there 
I have a, I like Nautilus shells. I don't like that the, one of the cephalopods, the Nautilus is, is deceased, but um, mm. their shells are beautiful. And I have a collection of them and um, I have some on a shirt and I've had mathematicians come up to me at conferences saying that shirt is wrong. You know, and it's like, well, my shirt is not wrong. I'm wearing it and I bought it at a math conference because where else do you find those? Yeah. But, you know, what they're saying is that the, the Nautilus shell is not the golden ratio. And even though you see it in math textbooks and things, you and there's a lot of controversy, not a lot of controversy, but people with different perspectives on the on the web, you know, talking about the Nautilus shell and whether it's a logarithm spiral or a golden ratio, uh, a golden spiral. So... I decided I had a colleague um, and Joe and I convinced them, you know, what would the Nautilus say? And so we wrote the paper, but the paper actually has a math task in it. Let students oh. decide. So, uh, and, and I'm, I'm certain that you can't say that this function is the way the Nautilus shell is. I'm convinced I'm on my real axis that it's, it's, it is golden ratio, but mm. Keith Devlin and I love to have little banters back and forth about it. He has a <laughs> A YouTube video where he explains that it's a logarithmic spiral. And anyway, so now I have a paper that a math in a math journal that says, let kids decide. How cool is that? We'll have to look that up and yeah. <laughs> take a look at the task. That's super fun. It's good. It's a good time. We should think mathematically, you know, why yeah. take that answer? Let's, let's see. Let's challenge, debate, discuss. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you so much, Kathy. It's such a joy and such an honor to be with you thank today you. and hear about all the amazing work that you're doing, you know, at a professional level, but also at a personal level of, of really helping to heal the world <laughs> with, with uh, the way that you, bring, you carry yourself and, and bring, you know, that kind of um, thinking into, into everything that you do. So, really appreciate you and, and the time that you've given to us and um, just looking forward to, to see more of your work out there and all the Thank amazing you. work that UCube does. Um, really, Thank really you. grateful to, to be a part of that journey. So Thank you, I'm uh, I really appreciate the time and the chat and <laughs> the party time. It's a math party. It's I'm going to show up if I can, <laughs> you know, party like a math party. That's right. <laughs> Well, that is a wrap for episode three, and I hope you enjoyed the party. And we'd love to hear your feedback or thoughts. So please go ahead and tweet us or see us on LinkedIn Live, or just go ahead and message us at Magma Math. And looking forward to see you all for our next episode, which I'm going to keep a bit of a secret. But I will let you know that it is about detracking. And if you're not sure what that is, Google's a friend. <laughs> so anyhow, looking forward to see you next time on Math Matters. This is Katherine Chang, your host. See you soon. Bye now. Bye.